Hey, this is Future Chris uh, with a note about the episode. You will hear a difference in the audio quality of this episode, uh, and it's going to persist into next episode, into TakeOver, unfortunately, for circumstances beyond our control. Megan Bob had to record inside an empty, locked concert hall. You will detect a slight echo from, from way downstage, too. I don't know why Megan Bob made that choice, but mine is not to judge. I, I, am, I am just here from the future to tell you, you're going to hear a little bit of reverb, and it, it gets a little better as the episode progresses, so don't immediately give up on us as you hear Megan Bob's first line. The other thing is, this episode's next big thing, where Bob guesses what's going to happen next episode, was recorded in advance so that Bob would be able to watch TakeOver ahead of time, which they did not end up doing. But in any case, that means that that Bob's audio suddenly rises from the dead for that one segment. Uh, it is not because we are cheating and recording next big thing after the fact. Um, although I, I don't know to what end we could be cheating, given that as of this time in podcast continuity, Bob has never successfully guessed. But uh, anyway, so everything is on the level and audio quality, while it, it does suffer a bit in this episode, I think nonetheless, it's pretty listenable and it's going to be back to normal after takeover. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the episode. I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Chris, and I'm here to help with the aid of a show that marks the crossroads of pro wrestling past and future. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a classic NXT review podcast for all you marks who want to get smarter about wrestling. And smart fans looking for a reason to mark out again. This episode, we're tackling the February 4th, 2015 Go Home episode of NXT in our usual spirit of friendly competition, by which I mean that we're going to podcast so hard that somebody's mouth starts bleeding. Welcome to episode 89 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, the NXT landscape shook as two of the most compelling personalities in pro wrestling chose to write the next chapter of their shared story in NXT Gold. But while the rise of Blurfy was obviously the big headline, we also <laughs> saw growing tensions among the four women slated to compete for the title at TakeOver. We saw Adrian Neville take down Tyson Kidd in his ongoing quest to climb back into NXT Championship contention. And we not only saw, but felt Kevin Owens throw a pen at Sami Zayn after signing a contract to fight him for the championship. It was very emotional. We had a lot of heart eyes about it. But this episode is really all about that number one contendership tournament we've been following. We'll hear all about that in Bob's breakdown. After that, we'll dig into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We'll also be handing out our Borance Olivier Awards for commitment to the bit. And after that, Megan Bob will take a shot at predicting next week's twist in the ongoing soap opera of NXT in a segment we called The Next Big Thing. Speaking of which, uh, Bob, do you remember what you predicted last week? I do. No, wait. No, I don't. You predicted that Kevin Owens would get so sick of Alex Riley that he would throw him over the commentary table. Uh, that may or may not be one of the decoy big things that won't ever actually happen. But regardless, it didn't happen this week. As we now know, the next big thing was that Baron Corbin would suffer his first pinfall defeat. Asterisk, asterisk. Like, he, he's been beaten before, but then his gimmick changed. and Yeah, so then, like, the count starts over. Exactly. So that means you're going to have zero points going into next episode. And we're now at number one of my second five count toward a bonus episode. 
but we can handle all that later. Uh, you'll have a chance later to predict the next, next big thing. For now, let's get to this episode of NXT with Bob's Breakdown. Our commentary team is Corey Graves, Rich Brennan, and Alex Riley. The princess of Staten Island comes to the ring to tell everyone, number one, fuck off blue pants. And number two, she's going to fuck up Emma Rao good. The crowd pop for Emma's entrance could be better. But also, I was like, oh, she's changed. Her dancing looks more like perfunctory and focus. Like this is a pre-match ritual. This is no longer whimsy. This is now like a samurai practicing sword forms before a duel. Once the bell goes, I was happy to see the audience chant for Emma like she deserves it though. I was very glad to see that they remembered that they liked Emma. Chris, do you know what the deal is with Emma? Like, why is she back here? Did They mentioned Santino. They were like, oh, Santino's injured. I do remember she was back with the snake puppet for a minute. I don't know the details of what happened on the main roster. I just know that she's like one of a number of people who kind of like went up and then for whatever reason, plans didn't quite work out. Mm -hmm. And so she ended up back down in NXT. I, I know around this time, she also uh, had like a very minor shoplifting incident that like, Weirdly enough, NXT like uh, WWE fired her for and then like unfired her for immediately. It was like she left fuck? a she left a Walmart with an iPad case and then like got caught. And like her lawyer said, it was just that like it, there was a problem with the self checkout machine. So that may or may not have had anything to do with this. But uh, yeah, the only other kind of context that that may be useful to you. <laughs> All right. As far as the match goes, Carmella can kind of go now. It's not mm -hmm. like glorious, but it does have character. She wrestles like, you know, like a like Carmella would. And know, she sells pretty fucking good. She sits on the back of Emma's neck to help choke her out on the ropes. We do get the dilemma from Emma, followed up by a kick to the back of the head and like this little punctuating slap to the back of Carmella's head. And I was like, <gasps> gasp who is this mean bubble lady but i was really glad to see her angry though it is a good look on her like cute and murderous is underrated and underused in wwe but anger is not enough carmella trips her up and locks in that sexy thigh submission hold that's basically a weaponized mermaid pose emma taps and rolls out of the ring and the camera lingers on a pissed off looking emma chris i just realized Holy shit, we have two separate storylines in the women's division that don't involve the same four women forever. I'm not mm -hmm. ready to shout storytelling, but how about I give it a progress? Yeah, yeah. No, I honestly, like, not to be an apologist for the baby steps in this division, but I think that given the level of the women that you have to work with in the division, like this is the, the women's division here is still really kind of in its infancy, despite the fact that you've got four women who are like extremely solid, like mm -hmm. they're going to carry the division. The other people in it, I think it, it's hard to put two of them together who really can, mm -hmm. in terms of like charisma and ability in the ring, they probably don't compare super favorably to Baron Corbin and Bull Dempsey, who would be like the analog on the other side. Yeah, um, I'm going to tell Alexa Bliss <laughs> you said that. 
oh, she gets so much better than either of them do. But but at this okay, stage, you know, it's developmental. So I think the fact that you've got like one big storyline with really solid women competing in the division, plus other characters having another storyline, that's not a ton, but it's a lot given what they have to work with here. And given the company's track yeah. record with women, where very often you've had nothing happening in the division. It's like one woman we care about, and that's it. Like, she doesn't even really have a story. We just like her. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is like being in a workplace where it's like eight employee deaths this week, and then you're like, oh, one employee death this week? Wow. <laughs> really making some progress. Match two, Adrian Neville has been trusted enough to lead Baron Corbin through a longer match. It's obviously mm. the point here that we have to put over Baron Corbin without actually making him work too hard yet because he can't do shit. But he can't advance in the tournament. God knows he cannot do a match with Sami Zayn. <laughs> um, I knew it the moment I saw Adrian Neville and Corbin in the ring. I, I knew that I had gotten the answer wrong and I was furious. And I screamed. I screamed at the television. God damn it, Chris Newton. I can't believe I fucked this up. I know. I was sure you would get this one because they, they showed the brackets last time. I mean, yeah, but I wasn't thinking about it. I was just like, oh, it's the little, it's the chart. Look at it. Being a chart. What it imported, no, I was not I was not thinking about that in the least. <laughs> Corey Graves is in the unenviable position of trying to put over Baron Corbin on the basis of the world's smallest sample size. Yes, Corey Graves. How could one possibly imagine that Adrian Neville might come out looking like the better opponent? Neville tries to really put over Baron Corbin by looking analytical and concerned as Corbin comes to the ring, as though this is his first ever glimpse of the man whose dick he has probably seen more than once in the locker room. The booking for the match is making the most of big guy slows the pace and throws small guy around. When Corbin leaves the ring for one second to regroup, an outraged middle-aged woman yells, Come on, Baron! <laughs> I did not catch the rest of it. It was very garbled. So someone out there is really looking for a highly specific kind of third base coach position here at WWE. Neville refuses to be put away no matter how many times Corbin clubs him down because Neville wants to be the very best like no one ever was. He is wearing his Pokemon-themed underwear. They have a British like Union Jack on them, but really what's important is that they do make his butt look like a Pokeball. I don't have strong feelings about which Pokemon Adrian Neville is like. I mean, I do, but I'm not going to bore you with them now. But I do love Pokemon, and I think there are probably Pokemon that are great at pro wrestling. Chris, thoughts about Pokemon that have graps? There's really only one question here, which is, is Adrian Neville more of a Machop or more of a Machamp? I think he's, he's more of a Machop at this stage. Oh, wow. I think if you picture him, those of you who know, in the cape he is made to wear when he gets to the main roster, there's a lot of Machop energy on Neville still. He has yet to yet to divest himself of that. Is Machoke the babiest one? Machop is the, yes, it is the smallest. And okay. then uh, it becomes Machoke. Okay. 
I don't think he's a Machoke, but I'm also not a Pokemon expert. I don't know. I just know that canonically these are these are the wrestling Pokemon. Corbin ends up on the outside. Neville throws himself into the waiting arms of Corbin, who catches him in the toddler hold and then drops him on the guardrail before before rolling Neville back into the ring. The ref is dutifully checking on Neville. In the corner of the shot, we see the gleeful face of Bull Dempsey send Baron Corbin into the ring post. The ref does not see. Too focused on Hobbit care. Corbin wobbles onto his feet and drags himself into the ring only to get red arrowed out of the tournament when he's pinned for three by Neville. Cut to the self-satisfied face of a guinea pig that will lease you a used car. By which I mean Bull Dempsey. (laughs) That gimmick is right there. I can't believe they missed it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a wrestling character. That's not a gimmick you can use. (laughs) It's just like, what if a guinea pig was sleazy and everyone's like, why would you want that? I know very well that you watch Chikara. There's no reason that a wrestler cannot be a guinea pig who tries to sell you a car. You know what? Fair point, fair point. Backstage, Sami Zayn is being filmed from a weird angle that means he's not looking at the camera. He's very, not a three-quarter shot. That would have worked. This is, I don't know. This angle is too obtuse. Acute something. It's wrong. That's what it is. It's wrong. <laughs> look, I'm not a. I've not taken a film class, so I'll just trust me. Go look at it. Go look at the evidence and go. Yeah, that's weird. That's no. Somebody get a fucking protractor. This is unacceptable. <laughs> he, this is what we like to call a a fucked angle. You, yeah. Notice how it's fucked. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. He speaks about his respect for Kevin Owens' ability to manipulate him into being the one to beg Regal for a title match. Obviously very embarrassing. The price of close relationships always pretty high in wrestling. Trust no one. We also get to see the match card for Zayn versus Owens. Chris, no more Muppet face Sami Zayn. Now, senior pictures Sami Zayn. (laughs) They took him to a professional photographer. He had to have three sets of clothes. They made him do a bunch of different faces. The whole schmear. I did want to take a screenshot and send it to you, but the cock app does not like that kind of shit. It'll black out if you try and screenshot it. And I was like, fuck you. Probably a good indication that he uh, that he retains, right? Because otherwise they wouldn't have invested in a new championship picture for him. So just as we go into next big thing, like there's a it's a clue for you. <laughs> You're being a real fucking Tyson kid here. I'm going to preach you my food. <laughs> Look, let me, your pet cat, die with dignity. God damn it. <laughs> now the hilarious title card. I know you're like, hilarious title card. What could that, how could this be? No, friend, do yourself a favor. The hilarious title card for the no DQ match between Dempsey and Corbin. This is season nine, episode six. We are 20 minutes and 40 seconds in on the on Peacock. Probably the same on Hulu. Go look at it. This is Baron Corbin full Dempsey. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, go pull it up right the fuck now. You have to go oh, pull it up. I know the precise title okay. card you're talking about. Next okay, week good. in a no disqualification match. Uh a, okay. a metal album cover that isn't quite coming off versus a goth album cover that isn't quite coming off. No, no. I Well, okay. I, I accept your headcanon. 
the face of a man who is so stone cold and cool that he hasn't given a fuck a single day in his life, or at least would very much like you to feel that. And the face of a man who is giving so much of a fuck that literally everything slips through his fingers like so much sand. <laughs> I know. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I've got another one. Okay. The the two worst actors in your high school drama class, uh, and one of them knows he's awful, and the other one super thinks he's the best actor in the class. Oof. Oof. Goddamn. Somewhere Dan Mulcairn is like clutching his chest going, I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> okay. I know that they are always going for Eddie Kingston with Bull Dempsey, but I had s- Chris, it hurt. It hurt so fucking bad. I had a real moment of going, he's kind of like the faux hard ass version of Gil Gunderson from The Simpsons. Gil Gunderson. He's like, remind me who he is. He's, is he the salesman guy? Yeah. The, oh, Gil. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah, <laughs> that guy. And like, therefore, oh. I immediately identified with him and felt powerfully ashamed of my intermittent guildness and had to stop thinking about it. Uh, if you have never had a single moment in your life, not you personally, just anybody out there, where if you've like never related to Gil from The Simpsons, I, I cannot relate to you. Like, I, I can't know you. <laughs> Okay, Chris, aren't you glad it's going to be a no DQ match? Like, aren't you fucking grateful that these two are going to have the freedom to get a chair fucking involved? I mean, they fought a couple of times so far. And if I got nothing else from those two matches, it was an overwhelming sense of like, these two have so much more to give. Like, I just. Yeah. Because all they had was was a couple of minutes and then the same couple of minutes again. Yeah. I feel like now with all of the restrictions off. This, I mean, this could be a four-minute match, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was another move in it. Oh, my God. This is like saying this car can go up to 40 miles an hour, so we're going to take it out somewhere where (laughs) the speed limit is not 35, and you're going to see what it can do. And everyone's like, wow, okay. Uh, We were watching this, and Neil turned to me and said, because they were like, they're going to square off in a no-DQ match. And Neil just muttered the most bitter Irish tone. How about they square off in a nobody bloody cares match? (laughs) And I was like, oh, oh, that was so good, Bay. All right, this next match, (laughs) Bailey versus Becky. But more relevant, Becky's abs. Becky Lynch's abs. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And she's wearing that top where it's got like the two little side things. So it, it's like uh, theater curtains. And it's like, we are proud to present these abs. Yes. Becky looks like a fucking superhero. She legit does. Her body looks very superhero-y right now. This is real wrestling though. Like they're, they're doing the wrestles. But I will say, I don't remember when that, like there was a big tennis controversy about women grunting too loud in tennis and people going, I don't think women should grunt loudly. I think it's rude. And everyone was like, I don't know how to feel about this conversation or how to contextualize it. But there's a lot of effort noises. It is weird to hear someone do three leg drops in a row while going, ah, that is exactly (laughs) what's happening. Chris, I feel though, maybe we're not thinking creatively enough. Maybe effort sounds a la, you know, your video games, your, need to be implemented more creatively and thoughtfully. Where would you like to hear someone do a bit of that Tasmanian devil, like, while they're trying to get a task done? 
Hmm. You know what? Uh, let me let me adjust the the premise here of this a minute because I, I think mm-hmm. I I really like, and this is going to sound because of my history and your history and our history together on podcasts. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound like a sex thing, and I assure you that it's not a sex thing. Okay. <laughs> I really like the sounds of women's wrestling. Yeah. And and one of the reasons that I like it is because, like, going back to one of my favorite matches, uh, Manami Toyota versus Aja Kong. Oh, fuck. Those sounds are so directed. They're not, they're effort sounds in a sense, but they're not primarily, oh, this is hard. They're, I am yelling at you. Like, yes. I am, this is, yes. like, my, my fury, my emotion coming out at you vocally as I, like, dive at you or whatever. That's what I would like to see in regular life. Um, I think it would be it would be very cathartic. It'd be very healthy for everyone if there were more just like nonverbal yelling at people just to express like intensity. Like that's not directed at you. I'm like it's it's at you, but it's not about you. It's just we have a difference of opinion and I want to yell about it. Corey Graves took a real fucking chance here in this. He took a bold swing in this match. <laughs> as he was on commentary, and decided to complain that Becky is a fake rocker girl. Because he is not a fake rocker girl. The phrase, blatant misuse of the devil horns, came out of his mouth, which was the most hand-wringing over nothing I've ever heard. However, I also had the keen and shameful feeling of going, ah, yes, but if my subculture was up there being like, you know, stereotyped in some way, or, you know, just being co-opted for the purposes of a gimmick, I would go, well, but but it's not like that. <laughs> Chris, I'm curious what egregious failings would you be complaining about if someone tried to do one of your subcultures as a gimmick? First, I, I must correct you because... You? I was just going to say, you you said you've never heard more hand-wringing over nothing, and I know you have listened to my podcast. I... I <laughs> You you have heard one whole season at least of podcast that is every episode is more hand wringing about nothing. But Chris, if you don't do it, who will? I know, right? Things that I'm thinking might never be said. Yeah, no, this is if important. I don't say them every day. So someday I will return to my calling. But for now, I think I'm less bothered by like, oh, they're not getting that detail right about something than I am about just like the the pandering. That's what mm. that's what bugs me is when people think like, okay, well I've definitely got this, you know, this this demo locked down. So let me just come out there. Like you you get this sometimes with people who like talk about D D. Sometimes there is this this bothersome feeling that you get like this person feels like because they know how to speak using dice notation, like oh no. You know, this person's out there saying D20, they're sure that I'm already in their camp. They can like count on me to be behind whatever they're doing. Cause like, ah, uh, you know, gross. It's one of us. Yeah. 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 They're uh, all right. Back to the actual match. Becky is working Bailey's injured knee and giving it hell until Bailey fucking snaps. I've never seen someone with a side ponytail punch someone else's knee before. Bailey follows it up. <laughs> By screaming as she pulls Becky up by the knee, well, really by the ankle, but, you know, her knee's bent, 
and throws her knee down on the mat repeatedly before locking in a single leg Boston crab, which is just grabbing a leg while someone is face down, lifting up the leg and just like bending the knee. Yes, the direction that her knee bends. But it's painful though, for reasons that aren't totally clear to me. Look. Look, I've lived a sheltered life. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's flexibility on how wrestlers themselves perceive the psychology of different holds. Um, uh-huh. And this is very common where like somebody who's working a leg will take a hold, they'll, they'll, they'll grab a hold like a, like a sharpshooter or something. Yeah. And commentary will have to like kind of hem and haw about it a little because like commentary knows like oh, that's really a back move. Like you hold their leg, but you're bending their leg to stretch their back. Yeah, um, you should be doing that thing where you torque the knee sideways. That's some dangerous shit. Like it doesn't look sexy. It doesn't look like anything, but goddamn you should not do it. <laughs> yes, there's a there's a shift in pro wrestling based on the pop culture profusion of information about like mixed martial arts and other forms of like combat grappling where it, this used to be a bigger divide between Japanese and American audiences where Japanese audiences knew enough, I think like from judo and things like that, like they, they, they had more of a, an understanding of grappling. And mm-hmm. so they could see, like they could read something like uh Jujigatami or whatever and be like, Oh, that's like a thing is happening. Whereas, you know, mm. in like the move existed, like the cross arm breaker existed in, in American wrestling. But before a certain point, it looked like such a weak move because it, there's no dynamic movement. And so mm. it's the sort of thing that ironically an American audience would look at and think, oh, that looks fake because they're not doing anything. Not understanding yeah. that like it doesn't take a lot of like somebody's hips pushing up on your elbow and your arm is hyperextended. That's that's a legit move. And now I think because of the popularity of MMA, it's becoming easier for a pro wrestling performer to do something like a heel hook and and have people read it as what it is and understand what it means. Whereas the fact that people didn't used to get that maybe led to the situation where wrestlers would do moves that like don't exactly make sense for the body part they're supposed to be targeting, but they're legible like that. You know, they sure are moving and grunting and that person sure is holding that other person's leg that must hurt their leg. I feel like I've lived such a sheltered life because I have never had a submission move pulled on me. But I'm like, I mean, just like, instead of fucking sex dice for a relationship, just like, <laughs> just going, hey, what what about a Koji clutch, though? What? Why not? <laughs> yeah, listen, you know, it it's is Thursday. Why not? It is perfectly normal and acceptable for friends who are into wrestling to put each other in submission holds. I would be insulted if you didn't try to put me in a sharpshooter when we meet in person. <laughs> if I didn't knock you down like and go, you nerd, say something, and then put you in a sharpshooter, and then are you going to sell or are you going to no-sell? I mean, it, you know, you're going to have to work for it. But, okay, but okay. also, I'm not going to push you into anything. I would. I'm not very confrontational by nature, so you know we're going to meet and we're going to be like, "Oh, hey, it's nice to finally meet you in person." This is, and then, I, meanwhile, internally, it's going to be like, "Why aren't they picking the angle? Like, I, is there something wrong?" Oh, okay, okay. So first thing I have to do, picking a body part, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, okay, an ankle, hmm, maybe some small joint manipulation. <laughs> I feel like you'd be good at that. Although I have to say, you know, don't overthink it. The knee is always good because then you get to do that chop block. That's yeah, that's true. Um, But I mean, I got to do that on a soft surface. I can't be doing that like on concrete. So I can't I that's going to depend entirely like on where we are. 
whenever we do meet in person and we are going to record an episode of the podcast or two in person, I am going to rent a wrestling ring for that just because otherwise I think it's going to feel weird since we are like doing a wrestling okay, podcast. Okay, can you get the one with the extra padding though? Like, uh, look, I'm older than the average wrestler. We are both older than the average wrestler. Can, like, can you be nice to us and give us some extra padding? Can Look, Chris. Oh, this will be, this will be a ring a from the most. Ring. Can you just rent a bouncy castle and we can put up ropes? <laughs> A little bit of DDT Pro. Yeah, we'd get, get like a bouncy castle and uh, we can chase each other on go-karts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's 100% my ability level. All right. We're, we're into deep cuts now. We should probably get back to the, uh, to the yeah. show. Okay. But I was also thinking, <laughs> this is a weird thought that I had. The, so there was a guy. <laughs> Chris, do you know about the Schmidt pain index for stings <laughs> schmidt the schmidt pain index i did play schmidt pain on the playstation and uh, i enjoyed that game a lot fuck off hold on go go look at it go look at the schmidt pain index I haven't even looked at it, and I'll tell you, I'm at about a five right now. We should probably get back. Yes, I know. Get Look at it for one second. S-C-H-M-I-T-T, maybe? Uh, D-T. D-T, okay. Schmidt Pain Index. Oh, it's a picture of you with a podcast microphone. I, <sighs> this is amazing. This is like taking a fucking cat for a walk. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay, I got a Wikipedia page. I see pictures of bugs. Yes, correct. This motherfucker, this motherfucker went and he was like, you know what? It's weird to me that stings, that ever, we understand stings to be like one, a very unusual feature that insects have because they have no reason to be able to cause that amount of pain. Like it's not necessarily evolutionarily anything, but they can do it and he's like it's weird that there's no kind of like comparison notes about pain but we all recognize it as extremely painful so he was like for science i'm gonna go get stung by everything and he did tasting notes about what each one feels like Hmm. and i was like wouldn't that be great for wrestling submission holds just tasting notes burnt umber oaky <laughs> rubber a touch of you back know what pain. That's a really good idea. That actually, yes, that, I that know. would be. I fucking dragged this goddamn cat through the fucking woods for this good idea. Yes, thank you, cat. Well, okay, Becky rolls out to recover, but her bay question mark? Sasha is ringside and ready to cheer her on by yelling at her and then throwing her back in the ring where Bailey does her belly to Bailey suplex and pins her for the win. Sasha and Becky like squabble a bit, but then Charlotte's music hits. And it is every single one of these women standing apart from one another and looking ready to go to war. And it's very powerful. And it's also powerful because it is easy to see that they are equals, even if they are all different, which I think is really compelling. Because mm -hmm. there would have been a time, maybe even two months ago, like maybe even the last takeover, whenever that would not have felt like the case. Yes. So backstage, in what looks like a dirty canvas tent that's NXT themed. Kevin Owens admits to having masterminded the whole thing, you know, with him and Sammy to get that title match. And he's definitely getting the championship. Please leave his tent. 
And then we return to commentary and they hype that upcoming Hideo Tommy and Finn Balor match while the screen glitches and a crow is shown, superimposed over the name Solomon, which is a good name. It is the kind of name you'd want to give a Corvid. Backstage, mm-hmm. Tyler Breeze is doing low-voiced self-soothing about his own gorgeousness to his phone. Like, I love this. The phone is... It, it's not just a mirror to him, but it's like a shadow self that he requires in order to feel okay. It's very interesting. I like it a lot. Uh, Devin mm-hmm. sidles up to him. Dangerous move. And Devin is more concerned with practical matters, like what exactly he's doing in their shared workplace since he's been eliminated from this tournament. And mm-hmm. he dunks on her ability to do her job and then says he's going to watch the rest of the tournament very closely. <laughs> and he closes it out by going, what, what's that, Devin? Oh, I think this interview is done. Thank you. Oh, so fucking good. Then we go to the commentary booth. Adrian Neville has joined, is now in the mix, having to answer questions and shit while sitting too far off the end of the table because the table is not big enough. So it looks like they didn't really want him there. He is there as like, oh, we saw you at the restaurant. It would be awkward if we didn't invite you to eat with us. It's terrible. But also, nice. I don't envy him that position of having to sit there and, like, be questioned by various people. Alex Riley in fucking particular. Um, especially oh, since God it's really da- important. Yeah, he, he has to put over his buds and keep his own standing strong. Like, he can't. That's a hard line to walk. And, and I, okay, I'm not going to. This is not any of my things. This is not This is not my, my elf ears or my whatever the fuck. So I'm just going to say it now. Alex Riley continues to be far and away the worst part of this show. Mm-hmm. His needle, like in this moment in particular, when he just like pins Adrian Neville to the wall about like, so what is it that you're motivated by? Is it, is it the money? Is it like the, you know, that you're going to oh like God. have this, you're, you're going to have like the fame and the glory of the title and it's going to, you know, improve your standard of living. And Neville's like, uh, no actually i it seems like you don't maybe understand my character and mm-hmm. then uh but then alex Riley's yeah. like but that money is going to be pretty good right what it's like the who the fuck? fuck is this for that that not only is that not his gimmick that's somebody else's gimmick like that's kevin yeah. owens thing what are you doing in the middle of a finn balor hideo tommy match talking over it grilling adrian neville insisting that his character is something his character is definitely not what is the point of this it was bad so hideo tommy's still repping scorpion with his gear finn balor does the demon style entrance but only physically because he's not wearing the face paint (laughs) and he is wearing his own long sleeve merch with his face on it so it's kind of awkward Uh, It's like if you caught somebody with a really famous catchphrase or something at a restaurant or some other public space and you ask them to do the thing, but they're also standing next to the hemorrhoid wipes and wearing a (laughs) tracksuit. He's just not going to hit the same. This reminds me, I heard once, uh, I think it was Aziz Ansari was saying somebody was asking him to do stand up at a party. I wonder, I wonder if anybody ever like at a social event is to Finn Balor like, oh, 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 do the, everybody stand back. Finn, do the do the demon entrance. Fuck me. 
Yeah, this is my plea. Leave famous people alone. Like, just for fuck's sake. They just want to buy bagel chips in peace, as we all do. Leave them alone. Also, spoiler alert, they're not that interesting. <laughs> they're just <laughs> they're just famous. That's the only thing. <laughs> Sometimes they're good at things, but most of the time, they're just famous. Well, I, and also, let me put out there, like, when it comes to something like stand-up or pro wrestling, like, if they are really as good at their craft as they presumably are for you to be excited about them they've given some thoughts to how their craft works and what they do is tailored to the situation in which they do it and yeah a good pro wrestler who is doing everything that they should be doing to succeed as a pro wrestler is doing things you cannot do at a party the same is true of a stand-up comic more than that fuck you for asking somebody that's like texting somebody to say Hey, can you come into work, though? Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Fuck you for asking somebody to come in and, like, do some extra work whenever they're just trying to have a good time. Like, that's terrible. Don't do that. Okay. Two crucial things before the match starts. (laughs) Corey Graves decides to bring out his SAT words. A list of adjectives are brought out to describe the entrance of Finn Balor. Arcane, mystical, enigmatic. Now, granted, only arcane is an SAT word, but, you know, work with me. All right, Chris, can you add three more high-dollar adjectives, and I will give you extra points for the weird ones? Let's see. Uh, Okay, uh, I think Eldritch is an easy one to go to. Nice. Um, uh, uh, Numinous. (gasps) That's very good. Let's see. Uh... Mephistophelian is very good, and I also enjoy it sonically a lot. Um, I like preternatural. I mean, I hate preternatural, but I love preternatural. Preternatural is good. I, I like preternatural a lot. Horripilating. That's a very oh. good one for pro wrestling. Oh, all right, all right. Sounds like a skin condition. Uh, well, it, I mean, it is a skin condition, <laughs> not a persistent skin condition. It's a it's a transient skin condition. Um. And uh, if I can also uh, suggest a new word, if I can coin yes. an adjective, Sinkevich-esque. Um, oh. Finn, mm. Yeah. Okay, go on. Finn Balor's entrance is visually, to me, it, like evokes the style of, of the comic book artist Bill Sinkevich. Is this you slowly trying to like, you're you're putting a trail of candy towards a comic book that you're going to make me read and you're trying to like, this is the thin (laughs) end of the wedge. I would not waste compulsory comic book tokens that I've earned on trying to get you to read the Demon Bear Saga from New Mutants because it's really good. And I think if you get into comics, you'll eventually read it. Okay. Um, It's it's very much up your alley. And that's where you'll see a lot of like great Bill Sienkiewicz artwork. Okay. If I'm going to spend these tokens that I've earned from from the (laughs) podcast, I'm going to make you do your homework. I'm going to like... I'm going to make you read like iterations of Superman's origin, that kind of thing. It's going to be good for you. You're going to enjoy it at the end, but you okay. know. It's going to feel like flossing for hours. All right. I get you. I get you. <laughs> okay. Corey Graves alleges that Finn Balor will make your brain work on levels that you didn't know it had. What levels did Finn Balor make your brain work on this time, Chris? There, I mean, obviously... I think Finn Balor 
routinely makes all of our minds work on a certain level. But listen, like Hook was already here and he's ready to fight it. So I'm not I'm not worried about it. We're not breaking new ground. What happened to my brain is that I realized that I don't know the name for words that are spelled identically, but have different meanings and pronunciation, like entrance and entrance. Mm, I see. Yeah. This is one of those things that you would say. And then if I told you, then you would act like I was the asshole. That's my mind reaching a new level. I've I've learned something. Do you know? I mean, I guess you'll never know. Oh, okay. Well, all right. The match starts and I get my first taste of the we're not worthy chant. Powerful chant. Chris, can you provide any context for how big of a deal each of them is? I'm not very knowledgeable about this, but I would also speculate that the audience is probably not super knowledgeable about it. What I think is that both of these people have reputations for being a big deal somewhere else, which is a huge thing for a certain class of American wrestling fan. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I I think that like a smarky crowd, which is kind of what you have in Full Sail. Yeah. They know that this is like Prince Devitt and Kenta. Mm -hmm. And for them, there is a certain mystique to those names because those are like people who are a big deal who we don't have here. And so there is a certain like um, trying Japanese snacks on YouTube quality to the crowd's reaction to them. Fair enough. The graps in this match. Choice pristine Mm. uh Corey graves is about to come in his pants about how cool this match is and you know what honestly i'm here for it i do love hearing a commentator who is also a fan Mm -hmm. going like holy fuck i can't believe we're getting to see this you don't get to hear it very often and they're usually very careful to kind of conceal some aspect of that unless part of their history is with one of the people but god it's It's really good. I love hearing a fan react and like be that voice in the commentary booth. Yeah. And now we're like four to five minutes into the match and you're going, why didn't you talk about it? Because it's graps. (laughs) No huge power moves have been pulled out. It is grappling. But we did get a better than raw chant, Mm -hmm. which I was like, ooh, that's that's a spicy chant. (laughs) <laughs> the story of the match so far is that they're two baby faces who are extremely evenly matched. Like even the rest holds feel urgent. And I was like, it's the best rest hold I've ever seen. I could watch this rest hold and feel, you know what? I'm watching something happen here. This rest hold has earned its keep. <laughs> now there was a cool speedy bit where Itami did a sunset flip and then Finn Balor like rolled over and got up to do a drop kick. I'm sorry. Like it's a, it's a weird match in that nothing is happening except great wrestling. That's it. There is nothing where you're going to go. Holy fuck. My mind is blown. I've never seen a thing like it. No, you have, you've just never seen it done this. Well, that's the thing. Well, I will tell you that we get more grappling, but, but I want you to, whenever I say that, if you're if you're going like, well, what the fuck does that mean? It is two people earnestly trying to move one another's bodies without ever getting too far apart. Like they really don't give each other a lot of space. They are usually touching. They are usually touching in multiple places. If you've ever seen ferrets wrestle, that's a lot what grappling looks like. I know you're going. That's a weird comparison. <laughs> Watch grappling. Watch ferrets wrestling. Uh, and then we get. The the loudest crack I have ever heard when Finn chops the chest of Hideo Itami. I was very impressed with that. I was like, see, see, like 
doing extra Foley work? Like what, does he have a little sound machine? What the fuck? But <laughs> I realized I had not done my chat GPT thing. And Chris, I know that this is not strictly speaking accurate, but I would like you to read nonetheless <laughs> what chat GPT came up with. On February 4th, 2015, Bullwinkle, Finn Balor, and Rocky, Hideo Itami, entered the squared circle at Full Sail University in Winter Park, Florida, with the hopes of becoming the number one contender for the NXT Championship. As the match began, Bullwinkle was cautious, circling around Rocky like a moose tiptoeing through a minefield. Rocky, on the other hand, was determined, throwing himself into the match with the enthusiasm of a flying <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> Incisive commentary. How, how very Alex Riley of you, ChatGPT. Rocky used his impressive technical <laughs> wrestling skills to gain the early advantage, but Bullwinkle was not to be underestimated. Like a moose charging through the forest, he quickly showed off his own high-flying moves. <laughs> Why does YouTube never show me these moose videos? This sounds great. It's always like wrestles with SUV or some <laughs> shit. I, I don't want to see. I want to see high-flying moves. Surprising Rocky with a diving headbutt from the top rope. As the match wore on, both competitors traded blows, with Bullwinkle using his strength and size to try and wear down Rocky. Rocky, however, was like a nimble squirrel, using his speed and agility to evade Bullwinkle's attacks. In the end, it was Rocky who emerged victorious, hitting Bullwinkle with a devastating running knee strike. Bullwinkle fell to the mat like a moose caught in headlights, unable to kick out before the three count. <laughs> um... You can do it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to finish it up. The match was highly praised by the audience, who cheered Rocky's victory, <laughs> like squirrels celebrating a successful nut heist. It helped to establish Rocky, Itami, and Bullwinkle, Balor, as top stars in the world of professional wrestling, like Rocky and Bullwinkle as the world's greatest cartoon heroes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, very close, Chef GPT. You were so close. In the dystopian future when this basic technology has infested our world with like replicants, a la Blade Runner, if you want to know if someone is a replicant, you're going to have to be like, listen, and think about your answer carefully. What is Bullwinkle like? And if they say like a moose, then you shoot them in the head. <laughs> okay. Well, here's what actually happened at the end of that match. Cause chat GPT did not actually know. <laughs> Uh, Bullwinkle drop kicks Rocky so hard his head bounces off the fucking turnbuckle. Chris, buddy, mm -hmm. turnbuckle. Turnbuckle. Then he goes to the top rope to do the move that people, people would have you call the coup de gras. People would suggest that that should be called the coup de gras. What do we call it around here, Chris? Uh, Rudy Tootie double booty. Uh, try again. <laughs> uh, I mean, the correct name is coup de grace, but is that still not what you're looking for? You want another one? No, it's, it is dude scoot. Remember? Oh, the, yes. The dude scoot. Of course. The dude scoot. Yeah. The dude scoot. Yeah. Okay. Bullwinkle pins Rocky for the win and then has his hand raised in victory. Lip bloody from the fight. Very proud of you, Finn Balor. Neville gives a very lengthy standing ovation and the standing ovation lasts so long that it began to feel slightly sarcastic, but they do shake hands and it feels like a real handshake. So I guess it's fine now. God damn it. I'm going to try not to cry. 
we shatter my heart and soul into pieces. We get a kind of pre takeover package about Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. It's basically Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in therapy. Kevin <laughs> Owens was happy for Sami's victory. He's still happy for Sami's victory. He was as excited for his own debut as he was for Zayn versus Neville. His joy is measured by the joy he feels for Sammy. But he's also the person that he is, and that person is not going to wait for success. So this is what he has to do. And then we go to Zane, and Zane is, like, mad and betrayed. And the person he loves hurt him, and he's going to hurt him back because the only way forward for the two of them is through one another. Chris, this is the best. This is it so It hurts oh and God. it's the best. There's so much nuance here. And, and, and I think one thing that came out in this segment that you didn't mention is I think the closest thing that we get from Kevin Owens as like a statement of the truth of the situation, because so much of this story is Kevin Owens saying again and again, it's not about Sami Zayn and the, the audience is supposed to understand it absolutely is about Sami Zayn. But he says, Sammy stole us getting here together from me. Yeah. And that's. Yeah. We'll get to it. Yeah. I, I, I think that is, as you say, like, I don't want to, you know, pre-talk it if you have it later, but um, that's the thing to look at as like, there is a depth here, not just for Owens, but for Zane's reaction to this. Um, that I think that's your, that's your clue into here's the thing happening between these characters that they're not talking about. We're just supposed to understand it from the way they're relating to each other. Thank you for that breakdown, Bob. Uh, what did you think of this episode overall? Weird to not have Sammy or Kevin doing a wrestle or really on the show in the way that they would normally be on the show. Weird to not like have our you know, normal superstars main eventing. Mm -hmm. But it felt pretty good as a go-home show. I definitely feel the urgency of Adrian Neville and his drive to kind of do this. And I also, to a lesser extent, because Finn Balor's not talked to us as much as Adrian Neville has over, you know, the course of his time here, because he hasn't been here that long. I feel the sense of like a rising challenger who's going to be in the, you know, championship picture regularly. Mm -hmm. I feel the women's division solidifying. I feel the immense weight of Sammy and Kevin. And then I also noticed Bull Dempsey and Baron Corbin. Yeah. I, I think there's a real lesson in the way that all these things have been built about how things work in pro wrestling. We talked a little a bit uh, an episode or two back about the sense of inevitability uh, of, of like a collision course. I think the lowest on that rating we have right now is Baron Corbin and Bull Dempsey because they have collided already. Like we've seen them do this twice. We know exactly who these characters are. We know exactly what they're going to do. And there is no there's nothing at stake. Not really. I mean, there is for me personally in that 
I don't want to watch Bull Dempsey be treated like that by his employer, basically. Like, it's very hard to watch in that regard. He is trying so goddamn hard to deal with a situation that is so fucking unenviable. It just feels so like a, well, he's fat, so he's like um, in some way a monster. Like, is he big? Mm-hmm. But ultimately not threatening and ultimately not effective. Like, there's only so far you could go if you're not built a certain way. And it's like you look at him and you're like, oh, he's never going to really be anything probably. Yeah. Because he doesn't look the way that they want them to look. Like, I mean, the fact that they fucking had Chris fucking Hero, like they had Cassius Ono, and they were like, oh, you're getting a little muffin toppy. Like, we're going to take you off the TV for a bit so you can trim down. It's like... Oh, and I have seen him as a chonk do wrestling. He is so goddamn good. It is sad to me that WWE is so fucking like such a stranglehold of like one particular man's in many ways psychosis about what a body should be. It is so about him and like played out on this really large stage and it is freakish to watch in some ways. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, I think what you're experiencing maybe with with Dempsey is part of kind of like the curse of knowing wrestling better, which is that, as Jake Roberts has put it, like greed and fear are the strongest emotions and and wrestling's ability to ability to elicit them from you is its power. And the risk of knowing wrestling too well is that that gets shunted onto the meta level. And what you are most afraid of and what you are most greedy for is like out of character real life success or ill treatment of the people you care about that's partly just a factor of like being a certain kind of fan like being a more knowledgeable fan but it's also partly a factor of failure of storytelling because if this story were better told and you were able to put those feelings into focus in the narrative then our attention could be focused on the narrative not that we would forget that they're real human beings but we would be able to focus our emotional attention on having those issues resolved in storyline Whereas honestly happens a lot with um in this era with NXT where it's like when somebody moves up, all I want for them is just like I want them to be happy in real life. And I'm what I'm afraid of is that they're going to kind of have their life and their career ruined by creative. It makes it impossible for me to focus on the story I'm supposed to be paying attention to. Yeah. Are you familiar with Piper Niven at all? Only a tiny bit. Okay. Piper Niven was on NXT UK very prominently whenever we first started watching NXT UK, RIP NXT UK. Piper Niven is thick. Like she's extremely curvy and she a hottie, but it was, and to be fair, this was also a reaction as like an American seeing a fat woman do anything in the ring. It is so terrifying. I am like any second now, this is going to be a joke. Like, this is going to be a joke about her body. And and I find it really hard to watch any fat wrestler, especially female wrestlers, wrestle, even though, like, I want to see them wrestle because it is so hard for me to trust. Like, the story of the match isn't going to become, there's something wrong with her that she can't, like, win or she's not good enough. And, like, low-key, we all know it's because she's not built like these other wrestlers Mm, yeah 
that is a, that is a creative failure that's kind of pervasive here. Like because it makes me think of somebody like um, Aja Kong, who you know is God built damn. in a way where like in American wrestling you'd have that concern, but in her context, that's never really a question. It depends on where you see that, it, and and partly what you're experiencing maybe is a, a justified lack of trust in like the creative voice of the product. <sighs> yeah. Uh... Uh, there, there's a whole thing to be done with how Aja Kong has sidestepped a lot of that because I, I have a very specific read on that. But do yourself a favor, love yourself enough to go look at pictures of Piper Niven, especially with her little like flannel. She's so cute. <laughs> also, I'm going to just plant my flag right now. I also happen to think Aja Kong is very hot in a completely different way. Yeah, Aja Kong is a complicated topic for another time that we'll definitely one of these days we'll do like a yeah. a, a, a Joshi episode or something where I'm sure we'll talk about her. But uh, oh, that, there was a point that I was making and I'll quickly return to it. I'm not don't, don't want to belabor it. But uh, what I was saying about like how there's not really there's not a ton of drama. There's not a lot of uh, like uncertainty about uh, Dempsey and Corbin. I think that's also partly why, like to me, the the women's title picture is like interesting, but not. Yeah, S super, super interesting because we we firmly established who everyone is. And so we mm -hmm. kind of know what role they're all going to play. It's good, but it's not it's not great. There is not that tension of like, we're wondering what's going to mm -hmm. happen. But interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's not like, oh, my God, how is this going to work out? Whereas with Zane and uh, Owens, and I think also with to a, to a lesser extent with Balor and Neville, we're following the stories of these men. And those stories just lead to a collision. It's like we have seen how in control Owens is. We have seen how much he's in Sammy's head and how much everything has gone exactly the way he wanted it to go. And like the ruthlessness, the coldness that he treats Sammy with because of how he's been hurt compared to Sammy, who is just like full of this fire about this. He's still riding this high of winning the championship. He's the face of the company. He's the best in the company. This has been his story. And this is kind of like him taking his moment back and proving himself. And it gives you a sense of tension of like, this story has to end with one of those things coming off the rails. And in the same way, Neville has been fighting so hard to get back on top versus Balor, who's still kind of an unknown qu uh, quantity, but seeing him as the demon, it, it, you know, even not in the paint like he is here, but like the way that he rolled over mm -hmm. Itami here, it was a competitive match, but these two are also like, clearly very strong competitors and and the way that he decisively beat his his friend here and the power of the demon persona it makes you wonder does neville really have it in him to to beat balor at this point it would be weird to see the demon balor fall to adrian neville but it would also be really weird for neville's story to end with coming up short again yeah yeah so yeah you want to see those matches and we can't do that until we finish this episode of the podcast, Bob. So it's time now to discuss the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, what did your elf eyes see this episode? Bailey's Macho Man streamers. Mm. I don't, it just hit me different this time. Because, I, I mean, I don't know Macho Man super well. It's I've barely seen anything. But the fact that it means a lot to Bailey and especially to see Bailey come out here repping somebody who's so important to her in the face of 
a crowd that's kind of lukewarm on her mm-hmm. right now. It was just like so clearly somebody who's there because they love it. And it doesn't really matter how any of it goes because being here is winning. Chris, what did your elf eyes see? I saw Carmela sitting on Emma's back and waving to ringside. I thought that was a really, like, a great character-expressing spot. Yeah, I liked it, too. I liked it a lot. I noticed in myself that Carmela's growing on me on a second viewing of this. Because, like, I watched this Mm -hmm. when when the episodes first came out. And at the time, I was really not impressed with Carmela. I think she benefits from being seen outside the context of this very special thing that's happening at the core of the women's division. Like, it's hard now looking back because everything has changed with the way WWE presents women because of the women we're seeing right now and and the matches they're putting mm-hmm. on. It's hard to remember how singular that felt at the time. And watching this was like, oh, wow, women are really wrestling. They're being allowed to do mm-hmm. that on yeah. this show. And, and when you're watching that week after week and wondering what they're going to do and kind of rooting for them to become the stars that they ultimately became, I think you kind of want to like zone out during Carmella matches. Oh. Now looking back and knowing that like it all works out and the division blows up and everybody kind of gets to do a lot more and that like these women are great. Like this is not like, you know, my little secret pro wrestling discovery is like, wow, Bailey and Charlotte and Becky and Sasha are really good. Hmm? Now, with all that in place, you look back at Carmella, who's very new here, and it's like, oh, yeah, she's good. Like she's not like one of the yeah. greats, but she's she's good and she's entertaining. Yeah. Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear this episode? Uh, you already said it, but Sammy stole, like, he and I getting here together. Mm. And, God. Fuck. It's so relatable. That's what really hurts. Like, that's, oh, my God, the devastation of then hearing that and going, like, feeling a pull inside of you go, oh, I am also like this asshole in some part of me. <laughs> and ugh, it's, it's rough. But so good. Yeah. But your Vulcaneers here? Uh, it, Unless you want, did you have something you want to say about it? No, I was just thinking about that, uh, that Morrissey song, We Hate It When Our Friends Become Successful, and how much I like that song. And I like how in the in in Morrissey's version, it's and when they're northern, it's even worse. But then the real big fish cover, they change it to when it's no doubt, it's even worse. Do you really think like it's just a success thing? No, it's not about the success because then you you like you'd just be jealous of anybody. It is about the friendship. It is about like yeah, and more than anything, it's about the relationship to yourself. I think that for them to be on a parallel path, in fact, like an intertwined path. And then to have, I think, Sammy's observation that, like, then Kevin, like, got married and had kids. Yeah. Their paths diverged. And Sammy gets the success that they dreamt of together while Kevin wonders if he's ever going to make it, wonders if he's ever going to get that dream. And so I think the level of, like, self-doubt, self-recrimination, comparing yourself, I think it's so easy for that self-recrimination and self-doubt to turn into... Like what, what's, what's so special about them? You know, like why, why them and why not me? Of course he wanted to like celebrate it with him. And I think there is a level of feeling betrayed by Sammy, like succeeding and doing this by himself. 
that, that they didn't kind of get the thing they dreamt of together for sure. But yeah, I think I think it's all of that. This is okay. This is my read on it. I, I think the coldness that Kevin Owens shows to Sammy in this storyline is yeah. so important because it is this passive aggressive like it, it is it is a physical ruthless way of saying oh so it's just business huh yeah no i i read it differently but i well i read all like the whole thing in a somewhat different light but i i definitely feel like sammy feel like there is a tone when sammy says like kevin got married is like kevin left me first I guess I can see that there's so much of of Sammy wanting to draw Kevin out during this. It's like that thing where it's like, why won't you fight with me? Yeah, it's like, I see that I hurt you. I and I just like, I would love for you to yell at me about that so that like, I can be punished for that. Or I can say I'm sorry for that or something. Mm -hmm. But what drives me crazy instead is for you to act like it's not about that, <laughs> you know, to refuse to let me pay for it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think I think Owens knows exactly what he's doing there with Sammy. It's like Sammy is a guy who absolutely like would say he's sorry or would like yeah. be cool about this. I refuse to give him the satisfaction. I'm just going to like victimize him coldly and refuse to like come to him on the on an interpersonal level about this and let him let him sit in yeah. the fact that this relationship got fucked up. It hurts so good. <laughs> what are your Vulcaneers here? Okay, um, I could pick out almost anything Alex Riley said, but <laughs> I will pick out one of the most, a little thing, but an inexplicable one. What the fuck is Alex Riley talking about when he's quoting all about that base in reference to Carmella? Yeah, I was really confused because I was like, that's usually about like thick girls. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the point of the song. And he does it what? twice. I don't know if he doesn't know what the song's about or if or if he is like maybe so deep. Yeah, it just has like. Yeah. In like the body standards that would be sad. Of, of pro wrestling and WWE that he's like, oh, Carmella, like the fat one. Yeah. By the very narrow standards of like, because I don't I don't get that. I like even by wrestling standards, I don't I don't know what he could be talking about. I think maybe the, the only thing I can think is that he noticed that she has somewhat of a butt not a not much but somewhat of a butt and this sounds very crass but i i only say this out of hatred for alex riley if you're gonna be if you're gonna like perv on the wrestlers and you're gonna do it from the perspective of like i like a thick like that bailey is right there and she's not like she's not playing a child yeah, right? anymore like it is as i'm about to get to like sometimes it's a little bit strange, like how quite how G rated her act is. But no, like Bailey has like I, I think the Internet wisdom is that like maybe other than Eric Rowan, Bailey's got to have the best butt on the WWE roster of this era. Yeah. So, yeah, Al, what, whatever, even from the perspective of the of the pure butt lover, Alex Riley just missed the ball on this one. Yeah, it's embarrassing to see it. Yeah. Um, like everything that he does and says. Bob, what did your human heart feel? Sammy and Kevin, and I wrote it as one word, and I used an ampersand. This fucked up relationship, and they're, like, trying to find a way through it, and it's heartbreaking. I I like them both so much. What did your human heart feel? Um, My human heart felt 
Bailey's little shoulder dance to her music. Yeah. It every once in a while you get this because like I first of all, as much as I love heel Bailey, I think maybe babyface Bailey from this period is my favorite. I'm just such a fan of her, especially the work that she goes on to do in this character. It's a very all ages vibe with this character and like appropriately so so that you from time to time forget that this is like an adult woman. Yeah. But then every once in a while, you see a little like spontaneous moment of like emotion and like motion of her body. And it gives you it gives you that feeling and it feels confusing. I this is the feeling that I got from the dancer in the red dress in the Sesame Street parody of Call Me Maybe. That's the last time that I felt this way. (laughs) I was blindsided by horny feelings in the middle of something squarely aimed at children. And yeah, it feels weird. Yeah, the cookies and sexy women, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I of course I know. We're almost done with this episode of NXT, but before we move on, it's time to award our Lawrence Bolivier Awards for commitment to the bit. Bob, who wins your Lawrence Bolivier Award for this week? My Lawrence Olivier Award goes to Tyler Breeze. Mm, yeah. I know Sammy and Kevin are doing unbelievable work. Adrian Neville is fighting the fucking molasses swamp of Alex Riley's existence. But nonetheless, Tyler Breeze, 100%, because he is staying relevant and staying interesting, even when it is not his turn to shine. I know, you're like, it's, it is less impressive than what Sammy and Kevin are achieving, but think of the fucking context, working with considerably less heat. He's having to bring his own heat. He's having, he's got a fucking space heater, a fucking heated blanket, a heat pack. He's like, no, I'm going to make my own. I, this is DIY. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Good, Tyler Breeze also good wins. Good job, Tyler Breeze. Wins my award for the week. It's Tyler Breeze. It's got to <gasps> be, because as you say, it's easier to be committed to the bit when the bit is so fucking good. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, they yeah. deserve all the credit in the world, but they're doing great material out there, and it's easier to be into that. Tyler Breeze, they're giving him nothing. I mean, he's, first of all, he's right. Devin is, because of what's being written for her, a horrible interviewer. She's just coming up to him yes. in the middle of, like, with no context and be like, so you lost a wrestling match. What does that mean for you? Um, and it's like, Oof. what what interesting answer could I possibly give to that question? And and he just busts out with this is this is my favorite part. It's the end when he says this interview is over. It's beautiful because there is no motivation. Yes, there like <laughs> there's 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 nothing happening here. It's just purely like this is who my character is. And by God, if you don't give me something to be like egotistically incensed about i'll just i'll just feel that way anyway i love it hero respect it (laughs) that's one more episode and a a big setup episode behind us we are about to get a big big moment next time in the story of Sami Zayn in nxt which means it's time once again for bob to attempt to predict the next big thing so bob this episode we saw baron corbin suffer his first defeat albeit not a clean one um he is still thoroughly protected it's not like he's become some kind of just like harmless goofball character obviously that would never happen to baron corbin but he (laughs) but he has been pinned uh so we have to eliminate that from the list and replace it with a new option 
your four options mm-hmm. for the next big thing that will happen next episode, including the three carried over from last episode and one new option are A, a championship match is so one-sided that it ends and the championship changes hands on a referee stoppage. B, an indie star makes their debut by beating the shit out of C.J. Parker. C, Kevin Owens gets so sick of Alex Riley's shit that he hucks him over the commentary table in a moment almost cathartic enough to be worth the feud that ensues. And D, just a handful of years removed from appearing in the main event of WrestleMania, a former main roster superstar returns to the ring in NXT, where Kevin Owens calls them dumb and threatens to end their career. Well, the last one would be very hot. Mm. Um, it's a point in its favor. Is that a good enough reason? No, you know what? I don't know the entire card of Arrival. Also, it says Arrival in the name. I mean, I feel like somebody new has to show up. Surely. Sure. Come on. What are we doing here? Um, somebody beats up CJ Parker. Okay. An indie star makes their debut. By beating up CJ Parker. Okay. Otherwise, they have called it a rival for nothing. Mm. Unless they okay. just mean like an emotional arrival, in which case, what the fuck are we doing? Okay. That is your answer. You're on the record. And we will find out next time whether the second five count continues or whether you will finally score a point. Look, all the all of my projections indicate that at some point, like right now, you are 1.25 points behind. A, a random selection strategy. Yeah, You're stepping between the raindrops in this segment. You're just like avoiding correct answers at every turn that it may be that you never get a bonus episode, which would that be is, like truly an achievement in itself. In a way, it would be as satisfying. This is the self-loathing destructiveness of a gifted child going, like you asked me to guess at a thing that is difficult to guess at and I can't do it. How dare you watch me explode your podcast? And I mean, it would be indicative that you're just, you're thinking on a different level from everybody else, right? Like, who was it? Fucking Amy Tan, who wrote this like essay about like being bad at SAT questions. Cause, cause it's like a, it's like a riddle. It's like if you're, if you're imaginative about what the answer could be, then it's harder for you to get the answer that they're looking for in some of these like analogy cases. It's like that. Like you're, you're imaginative enough in the way you look at wrestling that you're not necessarily going to see like, okay, obviously the next step of this would be blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You're beyond the normal wrestling fan. Yeah. I see how you've like, you've brought me back around. That's very sweet of you. Just taking care of your uh, self-image and pumping you up (laughs) just for no reason. We'll see how this goes next time. I mean, I'm sure like probably you got it right, but just in case, couldn't hurt to start now. And uh... (laughs) Hey, Chris, Mm -hmm. thanks for hanging out and watching wrestling with me. It's a it's a pleasure to do it. NXT is getting so good right now. It's really fun to watch it, and it's fun to watch it with you. You know what else is fun? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I got you that time. This is where, if a podcast were a were a visual medium, I would insert like the screen blip and like the crow thing that we've been seeing throughout NXT episodes. Have you what? not noticed this? No. Oh my god, I thought okay, we're we're completely breaking continuity, but 
I thought you didn't mention it last time, maybe just because like it fell out of your recap. But like, have you not noticed that there's like we're doing an NXT episode and like the screen blips like ksh, ksh, and then like random images appear breaking everything up. And there's like images of crows. Yeah, I guess sometimes maybe. <laughs> I guess maybe. No. Okay. I'm... Well, let, let, let me ask you a different question. Have you noticed how in episodes of Columbo, sometimes the screen goes ksh, ksh, and images of crows appear? Uh, that doesn't happen in Columbo. Exactly. Like on a scale of one to 10, Wrestling's how much would you say weird. it's been happening in NXT as compared to in Columbo? I mean, I don't remember seeing any crows. I just remember seeing it do weird shit and going like, oh, maybe that's just a thing they're doing sometimes. Hmm. Well, but I only remember seeing it whenever Tyson Kidd was entering. I don't remember seeing it any other time. We have seen it uh, repeatedly. I believe we have seen it maybe actually before I came on the podcast as a host. And we've also seen the word Solomon. Oh. Ah, that guy. Cute. So anyway, like not to say that it's going to happen next episode, but just to put it out there, 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 have, there has been extended, extended teasing of somebody showing up. It may or may not happen next time, like on, on arrival, but... Yes, you you are being prepped for a Solomon adjacent crow related individual to appear. Uh huh. Solomon Grackle, huh? Uh huh. Exactly. Okay. Grackle. He is he is one of those like weird modular C tier Muppets, the Grackles. That is his gimmick. <laughs> Grackles do look like Muppets, to be fair. I am not aware of something. I'm not aware of something called a gra- grackle other than a Muppet. You can boat tell where my grackle. expertise is. You want a boat, boat tail, tail grackle and like ideally a parking lot one. You want you want a fucked up tail. Boat tailed grackle. Okay. Yes, that is a bird. I can confirm, listener, that is a bird. Um, I, on the other hand, was mistaken. There is not a Muppet called a grackle. I was thinking of frackles. Fraggles? No, not f- Jesus, Bob. Not Fraggles. Get it together. <laughs> fraggles, fraggles eat radishes. They're tiny. A totally wow. different thing. Frackles, F R C K L E. Quote. And whenever I say quote, unless otherwise specified, you can assume that I'm quoting from the Muppets Wiki. The Frackles are a group of monsters who first appeared in the 1970 special The Great Santa Claus Switch as the henchman of Cosmo Scam, the villain who tried to replace Santa Claus. The group includes Snivelly, Boppity, and Gloat, among others. Several of the Frackles were later reused or reworked for other projects, including The Muppet Show. Uh, and then there's a picture on the side that says the two Frackles with the screaming thing and the Kuzabanian foob. So... <sighs> I know that you're not necessarily interested in going back to college, but I really feel like you have a master's thesis, if not a PhD dissertation about the Muppets inside of you. And I, Chris, it is trying to get out. I've thought about it. I don't know it. if you're trying to stop it, but it's certainly trying to get out. No, no, no. I mean, you're inured to this, and so you don't see the problem with it, but I just want to point out that, like, I don't know if you're aware that Muppet studies classes basically are never taught by Muppets. <gasps> and that's Fuck. like, I mean, for me, it's like, I would rather be outside the system 
trying to change that rather than like sitting there listening to some no felt motherfucker explain to me the significance of what actual Muppets have done. Wow. Bold stance. So you're just going to be like an outsider artist a bit about Muppets. You're just here like pursuing your own truth about the Muppets. They're an independent Muppet researcher. Well, I mean, I don't even want to like not a researcher so much. It was just like I'm having my cultural experience with the Muppets and I want that to be a lens and like an intro for other people. I don't want to claim to represent them, but I want people to see my like painting of, you know, two big like parted lips and like a Muppet uvula, well, the Muppet uvula, it, just visible between them, and be like, there's somebody who got fucking by Janice, but they, and they had their experience of it, and that's what this painting represents. Mm. And so that could be my intro. Let me, let me go follow this up and see, like, what is her side of the story? Mm. Mm. She probably, she doesn't remember, but. No, she definitely does not. <laughs> But that's that's fine because that's like so authentic to her. That's like that's one hundred percent Janice. I think you're richer for having gone and asked her like, "Hey, what was that like?" And she was like, "I, I don't, don't know, know man. man." Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>